I concluded my message last week with the words of a little song we used to sing many years ago in the church that I grew up in. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The covenant that Ruth made with Naomi reminds us of what happens when you turn from your sins to follow Christ. You leave everything behind to walk a new path. You have a new home. You have a new family identity. You now live to love and serve the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you're in it to the end. In Christ you live and in Christ you shall die to the hope of everlasting life. Of course you've come to understand since then that none of that could have happened had God not first loved you and moved in you by the power of his Holy Spirit to bring to you new life, new birth, to bring to you faith, belief in the truth, repentance from sin and trust in Christ. But when God did all that, his grace moved in your heart, yes, but also in your mind and also in your will. And you made a decision which would change your life, change your eternal destiny, just as Ruth's decision would change hers. We thank God that it was all firmly rooted way back in eternity past by the grace of God. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Well, as we continue in our studies, as we look now primarily at the lives of Ruth and Naomi and others who are brought into their life, we're going to note some points on those verses that we just read before. I want to, just, I want to mention five points from that part of God's word. So you'll find it helpful to have your Bible open at Ruth chapter 1 to begin with as we go through to the end of the chapter initially. And what we see, first of all, is blessing from suffering. Blessing from suffering. It's interesting to note, isn't it, what it has taken to get Ruth to this point. What has it taken to get Ruth out of Moab and into Bethlehem? What has it taken to get Ruth to be on this road as she journeys from her homeland of Moab towards the foreign land of Judah. It's taken the suffering and death of Naomi's husband and sons to bring Ruth to what will be a place of rich blessing. This is the mark of God at work. For such is his design very often for his people. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was stoned to death, becoming the first recorded Christian martyr. To many, it must have seemed such a tragedy. What a waste of such a promising young Christian man that he should die and lose his life like that. But in the Acts of the Apostles, Luke, the author, is careful to point out the presence of another young man. Saul of Tarsus is there. And Stephen's preaching and Stephen's death 
were used by God to be part of the catalyst in Saul's life, which took him to that Damascus road. Death worked in Stephen. Life worked in Saul of Tarsus. Bring it more up to date, when the missionary Jim Elliott and his fellow workers were killed in Ecuador in 1956, it resulted in a tide of Christians coming forward to take their place. Jim's widow, Elizabeth, was at the front of the queue. From their deaths, a great work of the gospel flowed, which probably would not have occurred had they not been killed. This is the mark of God at work, for sometimes such is his design. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Sometimes... As they occur, there can be no obvious reason or purpose behind seasons of suffering or difficulty. But if you take the time to make yourself familiar with the patterns and designs of God's hand in the Bible, it will enable you to see that this may well be God's means of bringing about future blessing. Maybe to you maybe to others. It will help you to pray for sustaining grace that you may endure. It will help you to pray for sustaining grace that in the midst of the difficulty, your witness and testimony will stand firm. That through your season of difficulty or through your season of suffering, blessing will flow. the first point it's a big one next as Naomi arrives back in Bethlehem we find the women in Bethlehem asking a question is she or isn't she for quite a few years in the 70s and 80s there used to be a series of TV adverts with the slogan is she or isn't she the ad would feature women in various settings and the question poised related to her hair. Is she or is she not wearing Harmony hairspray? Well, as Naomi and Ruth finally reach their destination, Bethlehem, all the women who remembered Naomi, all the women in the town who were her close friends, as they look at her, they're asking the same question. But it's not about her hair, it's about her herself, her actual identity. Is this Naomi? Is that her? Because the years in Moab have taken their toll on Naomi. Not surprising. They can't actually believe that she's returned. They can't believe how careworn she looks. Is, that is Naomi. It, it is Naomi, isn't it? 
you can imagine the ladies in the town having, having this, let's just make sure it really is her, isn't it? We see in the, in the Bible that Naomi says that she went out from Bethlehem full. That's what she thought. Her husband, her, her young boys, and they're leaving the promised land for another land of promise. But it's not the land of promise, is it? She'd gone out from Bethlehem full, said Naomi. An interesting thing for her to say, given that when they left Bethlehem, their stomachs were empty due to the famine. We left Bethlehem full. Naomi understands that even though their stomachs were empty back then, there was a fullness that they still had despite the famine. She can see that now. There was a spiritual fullness that they had in the Lord's place, in the Lord's promised land. Despite the famine those years ago, Naomi still had fullness. She was in the land that God had given his people. She was a part of the covenant people of God. She had the blessings of a husband and two young sons. She lived in a, amongst a nation where they had the word of God and where God had provided the means whereby their sins might be forgiven and that they might worship God in spirit and in truth. She was full. Despite the famine, she can see that now. As Christians, we must learn to detach spiritual fullness from our earthly circumstances. They're not necessarily the same, are they? This, of course, is the error and the wickedness of the prosperity gospel, which equates spiritual blessing with material prosperity. They're wrong. They're completely wrong. Of course, you'll often hear them point to men like Abraham and Job, who were both very wealthy, and in the case of Job, uh, significantly increased his wealth at the end of the story. Prosperity gospel preachers love to point to Abraham and Job because prosperity gospel preachers are obsessed with money, amongst other things. Their lives are driven by making money. You only have to look at their multi-million dollar lifestyles to realise that that's the case. We have to detach spiritual fullness from earthly circumstances in our thinking. And we need to remember, of course, that the wealth of men like Abraham and Job is fairly exceptional in the Bible for believers, not normal. Jesus had no home of his own, nowhere to lay his head. The Apostle Paul gave up everything to follow Christ. And as well as detaching spiritual fullness from earthly circumstances, we must also learn to value spiritual fullness over earthly circumstances. Naomi hadn't 10 years ago, you see. That's where they got things so badly wrong with such dreadful consequences in Moab. 
they did not value spiritual fullness over earthly circumstances. And if we're honest, this is an area where many, many Christians still struggle today. Or some perhaps even fail to see the problem at all. I'm glad that Christ has paid such a cost, the believer might say, but don't ask me to. I can see that Jesus sacrificed himself for me, the believer might say, but I'm not prepared to sacrifice anything. Naomi discovered too late that even with more than enough bread to eat in Moab, there was an an altogether different and more serious famine in that place. It was a place of spiritual darkness and it was not a good place for them to be. Naomi discovered at such great cost that the further away you stray from God, the nearer to death you come. This is taught all through the Bible. Moses would say to Israel, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you may live. Jesus said that he had come that we might have life and that his life is the light of men. Light and life or darkness and death. That was the message of Christ. Choose Naomi has been in the place of darkness and death and it shows the women in Bethlehem barely recognise her when she returns. But God in his grace and mercy has returned her to the place of light and life because that is God's grace. And thirdly, we see that Naomi speaks of bitterness and emptiness. Naomi's name, of course, it means pleasant. But life in Moab has proved to be far from pleasant. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. It's been a bitter hand against me. Now, I'm not sure that Naomi is actually bitter against God so much if she were why would she bother returning at all Naomi surely is acknowledging that it has taken her bitter experiences for her to return God has had to deal with her severely to make her return it's been bitter circumstances that God has had to bring into her life that have made her return to Bethlehem. Without those bitter experiences, would Naomi have stayed in Moab? Probably she would. But it's been a bitter, bitter pill that Naomi has had to swallow. It's come from the hand of God. She acknowledges that it's God's work. But it's brought her home. She went out full. She's returned empty. God, you see, has had to empty Naomi in order to bring her home. That's how it's always been, you know. We cannot come to God on our terms. We cannot make ourselves acceptable to him. A number of years ago, Stuart Olliott preached a little series for us. God is only interested in broken things. 
God has had to break Naomi to bring her home. We must come to him with empty hands, bringing nothing of our own and nothing of ourselves. We cannot bring something with us to the cross of Christ that we're refusing to let go of. Christ plus this. It cannot be that way. It must be Christ alone. It must begin as Christ alone. It must continue as Christ alone. To come to Christ and to know all the blessings that God has for you, you must be emptied. Emptied of all your natural self-importance, your self-achievement, your self-reliance, your pride. For the Christian man or woman, nothing matters. Nothing except who you now are in Christ Jesus. Nothing else matters. It cannot. It certainly will not on the day of Christ's return. He won't care if you've got a billion pounds in the bank. It will mean nothing to him. Where are you in Christ? Do you know my son? Is your name in the book of life? It's all that matters. That's all that matters. To come to know Christ and all the blessings that God has for you, you must be emptied before him. What you are in yourself means nothing to God. What you are in Christ means everything to him. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. But he wanted to be able to come to Christ full. Full of his riches and wealth. Continuing to trust in his riches and wealth. Continuing to love his riches and wealth. Continuing to feel secure in his riches and wealth. Sell every last piece, said Jesus. Then come and follow me. You've got to come to me empty. So that all you have and all that you are trusting in is Christ. And no more. And the wonder of Christ is that he is all you need. We're doing a study in Philippians and in a few weeks time we'll be in chapter 3. We'll read these words there. Paul, this is his own personal testimony. What things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I have been emptied. That proud, proud Pharisee, emptied before his God and Saviour. And Paul says, I now count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ. To get rid of all of that. So that I might have him. What a wealthy man I am now. I have Christ. 
to be found in him, he says, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is by God, from God by faith. I suspect there are quite a few Christians here this evening who are still struggling to grapple with this. And there are things in your life which means that at the moment your Christian walk is Christ plus. I'm still trusting in that. I've still got tightly hold of that. I haven't really come empty to just lay myself before Christ. Don't wonder if at some point God might deal with you bitterly in order to bring you fully home that you might come to him empty and notice how Naomi though herself empty returns to the blessing of the fullness of God's supply she comes empty and when she arrived in Bethlehem it's the time of harvest and it's the complete opposite she's she's just got nothing her tank spiritually is running on empty Her soul spiritually is running on empty and she arrives in Bethlehem at a time of abundance. What grace there is. She's been emptied, yes, but immediately following the emptiness and that realisation in her soul, God meets her with abundance and with grace because that's his way. He doesn't leave her empty, no. He now meets her her need And he meets her with grace. Food is plentiful. You see, don't try living your Christian life depending on what you think you can supply. You've got nothing to bring. Let God supply. Let God supply. Don't think that you can somehow supplement what God provides through Christ. You must only lean on him. Trust completely upon him and the riches of his grace will open up to you and of course I'm not talking about material or financial gain or of those treasures which we might have on earth I'm talking about the condition of your soul and those treasures which are eternal which moth and rust cannot steal away from you and that leads us on to the fourth thing that we notice which is future provision Naomi's come back and in her emptiness God has met her with his fullness. Such is the grace of God. But future provision is there. Despite what Naomi has said about calling her bitter, verse 1 of chapter 2 provides even more evidence of God's grace towards her. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth and the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. God's grace is moving towards Naomi and Ruth. You see, the bitter was in order that God could make things better. God's got to do it his way, and he will, and he is going to. Boaz, a key player in the story of Ruth, who we'll meet in more detail next week when Graham picks up the story for us from verse 8. But you see, even as all of verses 1 to 18 is unfolding, over more than 10 years, all, everything in chapter 1, during those 10 long years in Moab, all that time, God has been preparing Boaz and his fields 
for their return. And at the moment of their return is the time when Boaz's fields are bursting with harvest. God is good. He's in control. He's been engineering this whole thing. You see, God holds you and he holds your future just as he's been holding Naomi's future in his hands so that on the day of her return, God already has his provision for her in place. Such is God. And God holds your future too. And God will already be making provision for the days which lie before you. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink. Don't worry about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's a, that's a lesson Naomi's just learned. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore don't worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, when Jesus spoke those words, this wasn't some new thing that God was going to do. We see him doing it here for Ruth and Naomi. Paul again in Philippians would write these words, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. God asks us to walk by faith, not by sight. Because he sees and knows the future. And what he sees and knows will always far surpass what we think we see and what we think we know. And finally, the stranger finds a home. The stranger finds a home. Some struggle to see how the Old Testament points forward to Christ and to the gospel. Let's look at something in this story as we close and see if you can join up the dots. Most of you will. The text of Ruth so far has kept reminding us that Ruth is a Gentile. She's a Moabitess. Keeps telling us that over and over again. We read it several times just in that small portion. She's from a pagan nation of idolatry. She's not one of God's covenant people. What place does she have in Bethlehem? What place does she have in Judah? What place does she have in Israel? How can she possibly make this place her home? She's an outsider. She doesn't belong there. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, we read these words. An Ammonite or Moabite, 
shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. In other words, not be one of God's people. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Note the perfect irony of why God says this people of Moab must not be allowed into Israel. They withheld bread from Israel. And bread has been the whole source of the problem so far in this story. It seems that the law of God is against Ruth. She's from Moab. The law of God is against Ruth because of the sins of herself and her people. She has no claim to be counted as one of God's people. She has no inheritance in Israel. She is by nature a Moabite, so she cannot enter the kingdom of God. As things stand, Israel cannot be her home, and there is nothing that Ruth can do to change the situation. She cannot cease to be a Moabitess. That's what she is. She was born as one. She can't change. But in the very next chapter of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, we read these words. When you reap your harvest, this is God speaking to his people, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, that sounds a bit tough on the olive trees, that's how they got the olives out of the branches, they used to whack it with big sticks. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward, it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I command you to do this thing. And the wonderful thing that we see in the Old Testament is that the same law which says she may not enter also makes provision so that she may. Deuteronomy presents a door that is closed to Ruth but in chapter 24, God opens a door that she might go in. You're starting to see the gospel. Ruth is a stranger. Ruth is fatherless. Ruth is a widow. But she may enter because of God's grace. Because of the provision that he has made for such as her. Based upon who you are, based upon who I am, we may not enter the kingdom of God. But because of God's grace, we may. Have you? We likewise find that the law prevents us from entering the kingdom of God. We cannot keep God's law. What we are by nature means that we fall under condemnation. But God has moved in grace towards us. Listen to Paul in Romans 8. For what the law could not do, 
in that it was weak through the flesh. Now, what Paul is saying here, he's not saying that the problem is with the law. He's not saying the law is faulty. He's saying the problem is with you and me. We are faulty. The law is good. The problem is we cannot keep the law. The fault is not with the law. The fault lies with me and my sin, which prevents me from keeping the law. But Paul goes on. What the law could not do, God did by sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. You see, the same God who is a God of supreme holiness and justice is a God abounding in love and in grace and in compassion and mercy, which has been finally, fully and sufficiently demonstrated towards us in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of who you are, in your sins, you have no part or place with God. But because of what Christ has done, you may draw near in repentance and faith. When Ruth arrived in Bethlehem, all the work of ploughing and sowing and watering and tending had all been done. The day that Ruth arrived in Bethlehem was a day of reaping the harvest. The day when grace was to be shown to the stranger and to the fatherless and to the widow. Ruth arrived on a day of grace. In Christ, all the work has been done. And today, likewise, is a day of reaping and of harvest. A day of grace in which those who have been far from God may be welcomed in. A day when those who had no place in God's kingdom may now find a home there. A day when those who are of a different kingdom may be invited into a new one. God asks you to come empty-handed and glean in his gospel field. The work of Christ is done. The provision is complete. And the invitation has been issued to come and feed on the living bread. The Lord help us as we consider his word.